Welcome to the June episode of Amiga Ireland. I'm Irla. I'm Rob. And I'm Luke. In today's episode, we have a massive mod collection available for download in one handy place. We found some Amigas lurking in some surprising places. Rowdy, but it's not connected to music. Rowdy is a tool for your favourite TCP IP stack. <laughs> nice, we've got that and lots more to talk about before we get stuck in. How's everybody? Um, fine, thank you very much. I've been enjoying my Ultimate 64. For those who don't know what um, Ultimate 64 is, um, it's an FPGA-based C64 by a great uh, uh, developer, Gideon. He's got really great stuff uh, that he's been working on, like, for example, 1541 Ultimate uh, emulator, but this is just a uh, whole C64 in FPGA, and it's a great machine. And that uh, has the Ultimate 1541 built in as well, doesn't it? That's I, right, you're right. Remember, right? Yeah, yeah, Correct. A, I haven't seen one, but it's a, it sounds like a fantastic bit of kit. Yeah, yeah, man, it is. I still, you know, like, have to learn how to configure it properly to set it mm-hmm. up. Because uh, there are, you know, like, loads of options and loads of configurations and lo- loads of things. So, uh, just like I said, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Nice. I actually didn't realize that was out because uh, just a few days ago I saw an article on it and it was announcing it, so there was no date. So that's great. It's actually available. Hmm. Tempted. <laughs> How about you, Rob? The usual stuff for me. I've been busy with a few repairs. Um, in particular, there's a an Amiga 2000 here, Charlie from the Scottish Amiga User Group, uh, that I've just got to boot again last night. So it's another one of these with a lot of battery damage. Uh, so take the batteries out of your Amigas, please. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's recovering nicely. I'm looking at it here at my desk. Um, yeah, and hopefully that's, uh, got a clean bill of health now. I had a couple of days there was when, uh, my wife and son were away. And for the first time in a long time, I was able to sit down and play some games. But, uh, what I started playing was Exodus, which I'd never really played beyond the first level. And, uh, this is an Amiga game from, oh, the very, very end of the Amiga kind of commercially. So around about the turn of the century anyway. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a real time strategy, command and conquer type game. And it's, uh, it, it's quite good. It's, uh, you know, I always had the demo of it and played that. And then I found that it was available on APC TCP, I think for three euros or something, some very small amount of money anyway, as a download. And so I bought it, uh, having wanted it 20 years ago. And yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's not. It's not perfect. There are better better games out there, but it is uh, definitely a f- fun way of spending a few hours. Nice. Polish game, I think. It is, yeah. From 2001. 2001, there you go. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's funny because it's clearly a Polish person who does the English voiceover. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, there's a distinct accent on it, let's say. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's good. It's very good. Cool. I'm glad you, you've, you've, you've been enjoying it. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And what platform are you playing this on, Rob? Is it OS 4? Uh, I, I actually had it installed on OS 4 and OS 3, uh, but it, it runs, it needs a hefty Amiga to run, uh, to run it at decent speed, but on the O60 and a graphics card, it runs very, very well. Like, okay. you know, it's faster than you can keep up if you put it to maximum speed, so. I think okay, it nice. works pretty alright even on O40, to be honest, as far as I remember. Yeah. I, I remember it being a bit clunky when you don't have a graphics card. But yes, it, that's right. That's the thing that slows it down, really, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's fine. Like I said, it's it's faster than you can play if you set the speed to maximum. So um, I don't think there's any problem for an O40. Nice. Mm. There's one for the vampire people. Actually, that'd be an ideal kind of game. True. 
Well, um, I've been troubleshooting and upgrading my Amiga. I've been on a wild goose chase for the last three weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Rob and Luke, you, you know a little bits about it, probably from me messaging you the odd time. But uh, in the end, so it looked like there was a hardware issue because every time I go to boot, I get a guru straight away. And I have a hard disk in my Amiga 1200. But then when I booted with uh, Workbench Disk 1, booted up fine and I could access the hard disk. So I thought, okay, the hard disk isn't isn't the problem. It must be the hardware. And there was reason for the hardware to be suspected because <laughs> when I was moving a plant, I uh, I forgot, neglected to bring the bottom tray with it and it dripped loads of water all over the Amiga 1200. So um, thankfully, the keyboard <laughs> does a really good job of capturing most of that. But um it did short out the machine and cause it to, you know, shut down quickly. So I thought, okay, I have a hardware fault. After weeks of trying all kinds of things, like, you know, I got diagram from Rob, you know, so I booted that up and checked the system from those ROMs uh, that checked all the, you know, the registers and stuff like that. Um, I went to Bambi Amiga and I got um, Amiga SysTest from uh, Darren sent over. Um, thanks, Darren, for that. <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't find what was wrong. And so in the end, it turned out, that um, the problem was with the map ROM file had been corrupted during the shutdown. And it was at the early part of the startup sequence. And the reason I didn't, I didn't find it is is pretty funny, actually, because you can reboot the Amiga with the two mouse buttons down and tell it to skip the startup sequence. OK, so I was doing that. But the thing is, map ROM can survive a reboot uh, from what I read about it online. So because my power switch is behind the desk, I was going behind the desk, I was turning on the Amiga, it was booting up once itself, then I was coming walking around the desk, sit down, reboot, but it's too late then, the map ROM has already happened. Hmm. So weeks of this going on, so eventually I, for some reason, I decided to take the mouse and around behind where the switch is with me, press the switch and hold down the two buttons and I finally got the bloody, got into a shell where I could edit the startup sequence and things started recovering from there crazy uh, yeah a learning experience though yeah that's right <laughs> yeah i learned so much yeah some nice treats coming in the post <laughs> including retro ready nice sd card adapter for the hard drive happy days enjoy good stuff yeah it's a bit faster than the compact flash i think or am i imagining that no it might be faster just a little bit but uh mm. but uh mm. it is I think anything made in the last 20 years is going to outpace the IDE on that 1200. That's the thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't imagine there's much of a difference now. Just a little bit, probably. Yeah. It's just basically yeah. the file, the, 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 or the sector layout or something like that causing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of those things. Phew. All right. Let's move on to the news. AGA Blaster is a 68K Amiga CDXL video player. It works without needing a graphics card um, or extra or non-chip memory. So um, there are video examples of it running on an Amiga 4000 and 060. And there's a download available at the link uh, that we have here in the show notes. It's a very impressive quality. um, And I don't know what machines it does run on beneath the 4060 so if you do try it out and it works for you on your configuration i'd be curious to um hear about it go adf is a, a new application that's been released recently as the name might suggest it's for dealing with adfs which are you know the amiga disk image files so there are images of floppy disks that are often used in emulators and that but it's an application that lets you handle them on the Amiga. So up till now, there's always been sort of device drivers and stuff for for mounting image, disk images as disks on the workbench. And then there's another tool for reading and writing 
ADFs, but this is basically sort of a, a one-stop shop for all your ADF uses and needs and stuff like that. So you can you can use it to open an ADF and examine it, see what file system it uses, modify files in it, modify the d- disk sectors directly. You can mount virtual drives. You can copy them. You can copy files in and out of them. It's a it's a it's a lovely little bit of kit or a bit a bit of programming. And uh, yeah, go ADF. Uh, it's it's out now. Another little um, commodity called Albatross. It's a lock screen for your 68k Amiga. You can actually lock your Amiga with a with a word. It's been written in Blitz Basic and uh, seems to be fun for someone who's uh, interested in security and securing his Amiga and his system. <laughs> Whoever that may be. <laughs> That's, crazy. That's right. I actually remember writing one of them uh, when I got my Amiga first, just for justice because I, I had this basic on a disc and all, all it did was open up a new screen in front of workbench so all, all you had to do was the keyboard shortcut to flip the screens and <laughs> you know, that you was go. it yeah <laughs> so not exactly secure but uh yeah it was just a little exercise <laughs> a little programming exercise yeah it's the kind of thing that i think once i install it i might find a reason for it after you know yeah yeah absolutely I'll start keeping a diary or something on the amiga who knows Right, there's a, a new release of Ami Timekeeper, which provides an NTP service for networked Amigas. There is no installation required beyond copying this in. Um, it's operated as a commodity and is controlled by Amiga OS. So all you need is an internet connection on your machine. Um, this is quite nice. I'm already using something else, but if you're, if you have a networked machine, it is actually nice to have networked time. It you, means you don't need a, um, what do you call it? Real time clock in certain circumstances anyway. Uh, for my uses, it would replace a real time clock. So yeah, that's a nice little one. Boot picture now is a new, another new release on Aminet and. It, as as the name says, it's basically a small utility you put in your startup sequence and it will display a picture. Uh, so instead of staring at the black screen, you get whatever image you like. Um, it can also play sounds and it's, it's a simple little command line tool and yeah, it does exactly what it says in the tin. I wonder uh, if you put, you know, a red picture or something in there with people, you know, the way there's the, the boot code. Oh. <laughs> Could you confuse somebody? Absolutely. Yeah, give people a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amiga Demo lan- Launcher, actually, this is, I think, how you pronounce it, Launcher, mm-hmm. Launcher, um, is an application to replay executable file demos for a playback queue. Um, I think it might be a useful thing for you, Irla, for next meeting, for example. Although you've got that great script written by Rob, that might be a useful tool for you, or for anyone who likes demos and who likes to put them, you know, like, uh, without loading them on, or... You know, like going to the computer and going to, you know, like drawers and uh, opening up and blah, 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 and so on. So this is all automatic or can be automatic, actually. I think it's a useful tool. Cool. Very useful. Yeah. Yeah, I am sorted. I got a nice script off, Rob. It wasn't that far off from the event, actually. I was kind of pulling my hair out. That was a quick and dirty script. So this this launcher might be... uh... Uh, might be a better job now, but it'd be worth checking out. I think the script did the job really well last time. Anyway. Fair enough. <laughs> it did actually, yeah, it was spot on. It was, cool. <laughs> it was nice and easy. Okay. Witcher CDTV is a new new piece of hardware that's uh, available and listed on uh, 7bit.pl. Uh, these guys make a lot of awesome hardware. This is, uh, well, it looks to be, um, this by the name, it sounds like they're uh, the CDTV-specific version of their Amiga 500 accelerator, uh, which is, you know, which is a great little card. So this fits in the CPU socket and, you know, it's it, 
this in the CDTV, the space is a little bit tight. So this is a, uh, this will fit in the CPU socket and give it a, a pretty hefty speed boost and a bit of RAM as well. Could turn it into a pretty respectable, uh, WHD load machine. Mm-hmm, that's right. And I think, uh, for the time being, CDTV was a bit of forgotten machine. Mm. So now it's a, it's something that uh, people who have CDTV, uh, they have a chance to, to update mm-hmm. it. Absolutely, because yeah, like I said, space is a bit tight in there, and you could get some five hundred stuff to work very but tight. But yeah, it, it yeah it depended a lot on the 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 board. If I still had a hi fi system, I think I would want to get one to slot in with all the other stuff. Do either of you have a hi fi? Uh, when when you say hi fi, I've got a set of shelves with a load of different units on it. Does that count? There's a sort of a, you know, there's a standardized uh, sort of dimensions for them, so they stack up. They stack of. up on top of each other. Um, yeah, no, yeah. The, things tended to drift away from that. So when you buy modern gear, it's all different sizes. But I that doesn't yeah. that hasn't stopped me stacking them up now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it just looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Great but, uh, to see this kind of cr- crazy Jenga uh, electric. E- exactly, um, yeah. Stack. So like my TV box is narrower and deeper than the blu-ray player underneath it which is mm. wide and skinny and short and it's oh. <laughs> but hey you know i've only got so many shelves exactly too much gear <laughs> who killed the american demo scene this is a really cool article i found on vice.com the author went to synchrony which is one of the usa's last active demo parties and talks about why not only the demo scene died in america but also the death of the crack troll which sometimes get for- gets forgotten actually among the uh the demos, he interviews Dr. Claw, who talks about how while modern games are cross-platform or possible, the crack trolls and the demos are about target hardware, so our gamers today aren't really able to make crack trolls um, or demos as much as they used to be, unless they target them for an API instead of hardware, but then, you know, that's kind of a different... Mm. Yeah, and so and the game dev is more accessible to student coders, so that's what they're learning. You know, um, that's only a, a, that's only a little nugget from it. It's a really interesting chat. So if you're into the demo scene, um, or if there was ever any crack shows you really liked, um, I know I really liked some on, some that were even better than the games I played at the time. Um, so well worth a read. Luke mentioned this earlier, but uh, there's a little program called Rody after being released. It's a commodity, and it's a it's a basic GUI for uh, for controlling Roadshow. So this lets you do things like, you know, from, from a couple of buttons on the interface, it lets you put it online and offline and send some pings and adjust, like adjust gateway settings. And, you know, some, some of the more fundamental stuff, the most common things that you would be doing with your TCP stack, because, um, you know, for the moment, Roadshow doesn't have a, a GUI on OS3. It's quite nice, even, even though there are commands for doing these things, it's nice to have a button you can just click for, for some of the stuff. Um, so this is the first release. Uh, this is by, Graham up in the, in the Scottish, one of the Scottish Amiga users. It's his first program for the Amiga. So, uh, it's a good effort so far and he's got big plans for it. Nice one. Well done, Graham. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a lot of people wanted to have a GUI for Roadshow and they've been saying that, uh, actually, uh, or not having a GUI is the, the, the biggest disadvantage for, for them if it comes to Roadshow. For me, it's an, it's a huge advantage actually. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's all a matter of preference, I think. Absolutely. And it, like the thing is, this is as, as far as he can make it, it's going to be that it doesn't interfere with any of the config files. Or, you know, if you've got customized config files that it won't break them, it'll try its best to keep them intact and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it should, it should go hand in hand with, uh, you know, with, with basically any roadshow setup. And that's, that's the plan anyway. But the future plans are also to you know, like validate settings and, um, 
and and an AREX port as well. So like, so for example, your email client can put Roadshow on and offline when it needs to and things like that. So, uh, you know, little, little things like that. Yeah, I actually um, downloaded it and ran it when I got pinged on that thread and, uh, um, you know, it runs and I can see it. But um, it turns out I have a problem with my Roadshow uh, installation. So um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> two steps forward, one step back on Amiga. Absolutely. You'll get that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Graham. It's great. All right, let's move on to the gaming section. Right, Renegade Deluxe is a game that we've already mentioned. Um, it's um, another update. The game this time has got improved graphics, and it's a nice shooter. It's a top, I think, top-down shooter, and it mm. can be played um, with two players. And uh, it's pretty, pretty nice, pretty all right, I think. Yeah. Has anyone has anyone played um, I, that one? I have, guys? Had, I have played it, played it. Yeah, uh, well, an earlier version of it. I haven't seen yeah. it since this update. But it's yeah, it's it's similar to um, Alien Breed, but it is. W- with split screen. You yeah. know, so and that's kind of how it plays. So it's a split screen deathmatch, and which is and it, it's it, it works quite well. So you know, running around a complex with you know the the, the sort of the alien breed style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's that's vaguely the idea anyway. That's right. It's, it's quite good. Reshoot Or has been released. Uh, this is this has been sort of on the on the cards for a release for a while. And this is this is a sort of the it's an almost abstract shoot 'em up. And it's a side-scrolling shooter, and it's it's it runs really smooth, and it's very colorful, very lovely, and yeah, the the graphics are gorgeous, it just abstract. Like you know, it's a it's it, things are sort of semi-random shapes and stuff like that, rather than you're a spaceship. So it's it it's a kind of really interesting aesthetic to it, but it looks really really good, and it's as I said, it's very smooth, very polished, and um, yeah, it's been looking forward to this for a while. Raging Orlando is a Commodore 64 game in development, but the preview is available now and it looks really good, actually. A lot of thought has been put into the interaction between sprites. Um, there are possibilities that way, um, not just between you know, the characters and your player, but also objects and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a nice one. Um, Warlock-Entertainment.com uh, is where it is. Raging Orlando. And another C64 one here. Uh, Parallaxian. It's a very, very nice looking shooter on the C64. It's currently on Kickstarter looking for funding. Um, and it's, it's, you have to have a look at some videos uh, that the developers put up because it looks really impressive. It's, it's sort of, it's, you can tell it's a C64 game, but it's got like, oh, I don't know, a hand, multiple levels of parallax, as the name would suggest. And you can fly left and right. And it's a, it's a, it's a shooter and, there's also sort of ground ground attacks that you could do on ground targets. It's um, very nicely done. There's a lot of sprite multiplexing. As I said, the 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 parallax. It's it's uh, technically it's very an impressive feat. And uh, and I believe the developers from Arma as well. So uh, hello if you're listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's on Kickstarter. And uh, if you if you like to look at that, it could be well worth backing that because it it's one of the most impressive C64 games I've seen in a while. I've, I've I've been reading a bit about this game today, actually, and um, there are some new programming, actually, uh, like techniques or even tricks yeah. used. It, it, there's a technique that was invented, you know, like, like uh, last year for C64. So this looks really, really impressive, and a lot of magic actually is under the hood, going under mm-hmm. the hood. So uh, yeah. Fingers crossed for that one, and I hope the author 
of this game will prepare something new as well, apart from this one. He's got a lot of potential, like absolutely. really loads of potential. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, like like we're saying, some some very impressive stuff uh, shown up in the last while. I have a Commodore 64 under my desk in a box, floppy drive, cassette, the, the whole thing. All I actually need to do is sort out a, uh, an upscaler to connect it to a monitor. I really should get the finger out and do that. All right, well, let's move on to discoveries. This is my favourite section, by the way. <laughs> I found out this month that um, the IFF format was created by Electronic Arts. Um, so there's a great explainer, a really thorough explainer, um, simplified by... Sander Vanderberg uh, in the Netherlands and uh, he talks about his work bringing IFF support to the SDL library and then backporting it to Amigo S which is interesting as well so he breaks down the whole format and talks about how he brought it into SDL so um, you know you might not be familiar with all the different moving parts there but you'll definitely learn something about the Amiga reading it it's nice the IFF is like everywhere, so um, if you're into file formats at all on the Amiga, IFF is a, an important one, and this is a really accessible guide. Mm. It was very ahead of its time. It's it's kind of almost like a binary XML because it's you know it's all about s- separate lumps of brilliant way of data it. in your files. Each uh, segment has its own header and its own size and its own description, and you can have multiple file formats within the one container file, and it's it's a very is a very sophisticated format that was also you know perfectly suited to a low-end machine. We, you know, it, was, it was a great setup. The AIFF format that we have now is pretty much a direct descendant. And it has, you know, for, for audio, if you have that, it's it's kind of, it's not exactly the same, but when you when you actually look at it in a binary editor, it's, yeah, it's clearly the same uh, the same intent anyway. Oh, wow. Is that, that's the Apple one, isn't it? Um, well, well it, it is used a lot by Apple, but I don't think it was Apple that came up with it. And I could be wrong. I thought it existed as a sort of an independent thing by one of the big audio crowds but uh, I could be no, wrong you're probably right uh, no I only say it because I, I saw it on Apple machines is where mm. I came across it the most but I don't know the history of it okay that's really cool uh, if, if you're super interested in the formats um, if you go to the Amiga OS wiki there's a register of all the IFF file format types so all the container types and all that and a lot of them have a very detailed description so you can read and write any of the files if you if you, if you want to so all the formats are there and well a lot of them are fully documented so, but especially all the the older graphics formats and audio formats, there's clear documentation on how to how to encode them and decode them, and uh, wow. that's that's all on the wiki.amigos.net. Brilliant! Oh my god, there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but like 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 I said, it's it's similar to uh, XML, but in binary, so it's not not human readable as such. A bit of poking around with some code, and you, it's quite interesting. Anyways, <laughs> my discovery here there. Uh, just a few days ago, well, I was uh, at a friend's house and we were playing Super Hot, which is uh, it's a very interesting first-person shooter that's really suited to VR. So we were ha- we ha- had the VR headset, and it's this it's a first-person shooter, but it's abstract. It's like the impression is that you're in a simulator in the game, and it's all bullet time. So you know, time slows down, speeds up depending on what you're doing. So you know, you can see bullets coming to you, and you can. You know, you can block them with your with with the side of your gun, or you can dodge out of the way, depending on what's what's happening. So it's a very interesting concept. But there's a bit in it where you break out of this simulator, you come out of the simulator, and all of a sudden you're in this room full of computers. And right there in the desk in front of me is an Amiga four thousand, and it's like what? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And and basically to get back into the game proper, you have to put a floppy disk into the disk drive on this Amiga, <laughs> and, and then you're back in the simulator. And it's like. 
what? There's clearly some love for the Amiga in the in the the, the asset designers there. Brilliant. Yeah. My discovery is an ASCII art uh, subreddit. And there's also a Petsky art subreddit. So uh, it looks absolutely amazing, you know, like a graphics made out of uh, letters or special special signs, you know, like um, ASCII signed or Petsky signed for C64. And it reminds me of, of a film called, I don't know if you, know, if you remember it, from 1983, War Games. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, a game <laughs> like that, you know, BBSs and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you like it, go and look it. And enjoy it. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I nearly forgot my, my uh, main discovery that I talked about at the beginning of the show. You can download four ISOs with 18,000 mods on them from archive.org. Um, the compilation was actually made quite a few years ago, but it's just been uploaded to archive.org from what I understand. And uh, we've got the link here. Uh, I downloaded the four ISOs. I've mounted one of them. And uh, I, I, I'm never going to get through no. all of the songs. No, no, you need at least three lives, I think. <laughs> just like with demo scene, you just mm-hmm. you, you just need like at least seven lives to go through all those demos and crack throws and intros and all that stuff. It's the same story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, another discovery, and it's a way of connecting A500 to the internet with just a non-modern cable, serial cable, uh, and uh, PC. Uh, that tutorial is um, has been made by AmigaLove.com and um, it's a really good one. It's got pictures, uh, the explanation is simple and I presume it works, but it's, it's, it's going to be slow, but it's, 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 it's possible, it's doable. So uh, if you are persistent enough and you want to try it, go for it then. It might be a bit slow. Yeah, but... You know, like a lot of stuff with the Amiga is like because you can, because you can. That's <laughs> right. But this because you can is going to be really slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, but it works. Oh, what I like about that idea is uh like on the Amiga, you know, from a stock Amiga five hundred, like you've an awful lot of work to do to sort of um, get it online because mm-hmm. it just that you bypass all of that. Right, my discovery is um a thread that I needed, which was a, a list of the. Guru meditation numbers categorized and explained. Um, there's one caveat that unfortunately it's not always as simple as, you know, if you've got this guru that says whatever number, then that is the problem. You know, it could, it's, it's likely a symptom of something else, but it can help you narrow things down and, you know, prevent you wasting a lot of time. Maybe you are uh, looking in the wrong places potentially. And do you ever use the gurus, Rob, whenever you're trying to, you know, suss out what's going on with the machine? Or do you- Try to avoid them, to be honest. <laughs> okay, um, interesting. Yeah, well, yes and no. No, to be honest, they're of limited use, really, like like you say, because what what you're seeing is the end result of the problem, not what the problem is. And this is this is a problem. It's the same with them. Um, you know, that the boot colors, that there are charts for what the boot colors mean as well. And it sometimes throws people off altogether. And I've seen people replacing all the RAM yeah, in their machine because they got a right. green boot screen. That, that's and right. It's like, <laughs> yes, it's, it's a, it's a RAM error, but that doesn't mean your RAM's dead. So it's, it's one of these things that, you know, you have to sort of, you bear it in mind, but it's just one of the many things you need to look at. You know, it, it can be helpful, but. But the, the thing is, it all comes with experience. That's the thing. 
Yes, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. all got, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty obvious for you. It's pretty obvious for me because we've got many years of experience. Mm-hmm. But for example, for Irla, he's just trying to find out his ways right now. And he's yeah. been, he's been learning all the guru meditation numbers. He's been lay, uh, learning, you I know, sure like the, the colors, <laughs> the screen colors. He got himself a diagram as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a good direction. Yeah, yeah, but think of it as a, as a as an aid rather than yeah, like mm-hmm. you say, it's that's right. It, it's it's never as or it's rarely as simple as one equals the other. But uh, there is one guru that does show up, uh, and it's kind of it's a fairly obvious one. It's the one uh, ends in B, and that's B, a, yeah, that's it's right. A CPU instruction not supported or something. So it usually means it's looking for an FPU or it's looking for a higher CPU than you have in the machine, and that's that's kind of a straightforward one, but. Other than that, it's kind of well, what was happening at the time, and um, you know, if you if you really want to delve into it, you can get some debug info over the serial port at that point. But that's that's for another day. <laughs> Actually, that would make a good Ask Amiga question for next time, Rob. Even though I'd be interested in that, how to you know how to connect to the serial port uh, and get yeah. the info from it. Yeah, yeah, but it's um, it's not a huge thing, but uh, it is. It's there's a little bit there, yeah. I I think I got lucky with that list. I went and looked up the codes and um it said it had a problem with exec.library and workbench.library. So I thought okay, potentially that was it was something around that. So I thought okay, maybe those files are corrupted. So at that point it was when I started commenting out the um load modules and the what's the other one? Maprom and uh, mm. suddenly bingo, hallelujah, all working. So um yeah I yeah suppo- I suppose it's kind of like clippy sometimes <laughs> it's helpful <laughs> yeah Ab- absolutely and that's in in your case that was a good a good pointer because uh it was exec was you know there's something corrupt in the very sort of core of the system there but you can also get exec errors from something that overwrites ram so if you get a bad pointer somewhere that can often show up as an exec error and that could be just someone's been lazy programming something you know so it can be a massive red herring but in your case it was the right thing so yeah that's the way it goes yeah okay let's move on to events right i'm gonna start with the norwich games festival and that uh, took place last week massive festival loads of people loads of computers loads of consoles uh, Brilliant, and uh, our uh, Norwich Amiga group uh, was taking part in that as well. So, uh, if you'd like to see it and maybe visit it next year, because I think it's on a regular basis every year uh, around the end of um, May, have a look on the Facebook group, check the photos. I'm sure you'll enjoy it, and uh, see you next year, perhaps. Nice. Mm. Oh, actually, we meet in the Computer and Communications Museum of Ireland the first Friday of every month, but this month is not happening. Um, there's been a slight mix-up and there's some um, renovations now are going to be taking uh, place in its uh, place. So it'll be the following month, the 5th of July, will be the next uh, meet-up there, and we're going to have some interesting stuff for um, all the um, Amiga Diagnostic accoutrement I have gathered over the last few weeks is going to be there and uh, given a sort of a a dedicated space. So um, if you want to bring in a sick Amiga to us uh, one of the Fridays that we meet up, we can, you know, 
put in diagram, we can put in the Amiga Sys test and uh, see what we can get out of it. And, you know, even if there's, even if we're not in a position to repair, we might be able to diagnose it and narrow down what needs to be done. So you can at least get to the point where you can order parts maybe or um, take us along that route. And actually, speaking of the Amiga Ireland event, the uh, contract has finally been signed with the, the venue, mm-hmm. which means we can now get to nailing down the final details and uh, putting the tickets up online at some stage. I'd initially said February, we put them straight up, but um, because we had to change venue, uh, we were initially going to go with one uh, new new venue, but then it, it wasn't quite right for us. So we actually had to change to another one right beside it. But uh, just because of that question, it, it wasn't right to put tickets up online. We've got a fantastic venue, the Sheraton Hotel. Uh, we made the we agreed to it ages ago, but the contract has just been signed now. So I'm looking forward to that. They've got a really nice setup. They've got good facilities. They can partition. It's a massive room. It's about three, at least three times as big as last year's place. And they can partition it into thirds with a projector in each third. And they can separate the microphones and speakers for each one. So you can have, you know, say our guests giving a talk in one third and you can have someone giving a workshop and something else in another third and you can have a game competition on a projector in another third whatever we want yeah really nice and the ticket prices aren't going to change this year um as a result which is nice awesome that's really good good stuff and what date is that again earlier because i don't think you mentioned it that's a good question um <laughs> putting you on the spot now it's okay i'm going on to the website to look for <laughs> it. I, don't wanna, I think it's the uh, 17th and 18th of january 2020 professional outfit here Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so 17th and 18th. Yeah, that's right. And uh, AmigaUsers.ie is where the tickets are going to be made available. Uh, and we will you know, post about it on all our social media uh, sites when it comes out with details of who the guests are and stuff like that. This uh, coming event. Yeah. So I hope as many of you as possible can make it um, because the subsequent years are always dictated by the turnout you know, of the current year. So last year we, we made enough money to pay for, you know, a good venue this year that could, that could fit the people that wanted to come. Yeah. Um, uh, so as long as we get, uh, you know, a relatively decent turnout, uh, we'll, we'll continue to be, to be fine. Okay. Let's move on to Ask Amiga. Okay. So there was a, a question on the retro computing stack exchange there a little while ago. Uh, and it, it was basically concerning the old style CPU sockets and, and even not so old style CPU sockets that are in basically, I'd say almost every retro computer has, has a, a, a chip socket somewhere in it. Like even, even the more modern Amigas, the 1200 and that, the kickstart ROMs are in, are in, uh, IC sockets. And, uh, well, basically they're, the, that design, you'll find them from, you know, all the way through from any computer in the eighties, all the way through to the, the Amiga 1200 and the CD32. So. And basically the question and the, the discussion was about uh, corrosion on the contacts and the contacts in general. So basically there's a, you know, there's the contacts that are in those chips are the sort of, they got the little flap of metal that, that presses the chip leg against another flap of metal. And that gives you a decent contact. And those contacts are usually tin plated. All is well and good for many years afterwards. But, you know, it reaches a stage where sometimes a computer won't work and all it takes is to take out the chips and put them back in. And, you know, it's like, what? Why, why wasn't that working before? So, um, yeah. And it's, that's, that's sometimes it. And it basically is because you get, you know, you get a, a buildup of corrosion on the, the contacts and it, it basically means that you get 
you know, electrical resistance in between. And, you know, so, so you lose signal integrity going to each of the, or going to some of the pins. And that causes crashes, causes all sorts of problems. So, um, on top of that, now, nowadays in sort of in the Amiga land, you're getting a lot of add-ons that fit into the CPU socket and into the, into the kickstart sockets and things like that. And they tend to abuse the sockets a little bit. Because they've got round pins and the sockets are made for the flat pins on chips. So you get, you get these kind of issues that sort of you cause, cause the chips to lose, to contacts to lose their springiness and you get corrosion on the surface of the contacts. And all that adds up to sort of having a bad day and unstable computers and stuff. So, well, what can be done about corrosion? And because, you know, that the chips are, have got these tin contacts on them. And well, you can, you can plate things in gold. And that is how sort of the, you know, you, when you get higher quality connectors and, and, uh, chip sockets, they tend to have a, a very thin layer of gold on the, on the, on the contacts. I always wondered what that was about. There okay. you go. And you'll get it on audio connectors, you know, sort of higher end headphones and stuff for like that. You'll get gold connections on them. And the idea is that gold doesn't tarnish. So it doesn't react with anything. It's pretty inert and it doesn't, uh, yeah, it doesn't rust, it doesn't corrode. And, and therefore you should in theory always have a clean connection. So that's all well and good, but you've, you've got a problem when not everything's coated in gold because you've got tin that's on the, on the chip legs and you've got gold on the contacts. So the gold is still fine, but what'll happen is you've got this thing called galvanic corrosion. And basically when you mix dissimilar metals, you get a very low voltage created between them and that causes, that causes corrosion. So your gold contacts will be fine, but your chip legs are going to corrode anyway. And this is, this is a problem. And it's, it's sort of, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a table of metals basically. And, uh, you know, the further away two things are on this table, the more corrosion you get when you touch them off each other. So you'll, you, you might be familiar with this if you have alloy wheels on your car and you haven't had to take a wheel off in, let's say a year. And then you go, you suddenly got a puncture and you try to take the wheel off and it's jammed solid onto the hub. Mm-hmm. And it's, be, it's because your wheel is magnesium and the hub is steel and magnesium and steel are quite far away from each other on that, uh, on, on that scale. So over the year, basically the two have rusted and fused together and that's, that's it. So you have to give, kick the, kick the bejesus out of the wheel basically to get it off of the hub. And once you do that, it's fine again. So usually you put a bit of grease, a bit of, uh, copper grease on that to, to stop that from happening. But, uh, that's usually what causes it is that's the same thing and that that can cause chips to corrode even in gold sockets but obviously better in gold sockets than in tin or nickel sockets but um yeah it's it'll it'll always happen and well basically there's no real way to avoid it but you can reduce the effect by keeping everything clean so oil from your fingers and moisture from the atmosphere that all accelerates it and if, if it was perfectly if it was in a vacuum it wouldn't happen but if you can get rid of the moisture and get rid of the you know don't touch the contacts with your fingers that'll uh, add years onto the amount of time it takes to go bad so um yeah there you go it's there's a whole a whole world of science basically uh, dedicated to galvanic corrosion and we touch off it and work with our medical devices as well but um yeah, it's, 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 if you're into your, your metal and your physics and your, that, that end of things, it's quite an interesting read to have a look at that in general and in specific, specifically with the metals involved in, uh, microchip legs. But, um, yeah, it's, it'll still happen today if you plug, like, you know, if you have, 
connectors that aren't moved for a year or two and you suddenly find they're, they're basically stuck together. And it's probably because they're two different metals and they've just corroded into each other. And Rob, what's the earliest stage somebody can catch that with the naked eye? If things start to look dull, but see, the, the problem is you probably won't catch it with the naked eye because it'll be very localized. It'll only be where the metals are touching, you see? So it'll be in right down in the chip connections themselves. I get you. Yeah. So it'll manifest really as a as a problem before you notice it. Uh, yeah, basically, you'll, you'll have instabilities or refusing to boot or something, you know, because if it's kickstart chips or if one of the custom chips, you start getting weird graphics glitches or, or again, refusing to boot or whatever. Um, but yeah. So it's you, a case really of doing all your contacts then and really not rather than being selective, yeah. I suppose. So, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend like pulling your chips out every six months and sticking them back in because you're going to wear the sockets. But, um, you know, although you can replace the sockets, like I said, with, you know, turned pin sockets with gold contacts and they're, they're a much better, much more resilient socket but uh yeah now you you don't basically i wouldn't say it's something you can prevent other than when you when you do have chips out that you you know give them a clean with some alcohol or something like that and then put them in it's it's just a fact of life basically and you know you'll probably still get it in the only way to avoid it sorry i should say that is to have the exact same metal on both sides of the contact so that's why a modern cpu if you look at a a modern cpu that goes on like an amd chip or an intel chip the contacts will be gold. And even going back to the, the 030, the 040, 060, the, the pins were gold or gold plated. And that was so that they wouldn't all get fused into the socket. Because if you're trying to pull a chip that has a hundred and something pins, you're going to, you're going to snap the chip in half if it corrodes in the socket. So the sockets and the chip both had gold connections or at least gold plated. You know, it's, there's not a whole lot of gold involved. It's only, uh, like a, a, a less than a micron thick. Okay. That's interesting, Rob. Thanks. Right, let's move on. Let's move on to online activity. Our top tweet of the month uh, is a congratulations and best wishes to Chris and his beautiful two-month-old baby. I'm um, probably going on three months now, actually. Um, congrats, Chris. That's a lovely photograph of Chris uh, with his newborn baby in and his uh, him wearing his Amiga Ireland T-shirt. Sweet picture. <laughs> yeah, really awesome. nice touch. Um, our top Facebook post was uh, by Daniel, and it's a um, Amiga-themed uh, watch face on um, one of those Android watches. You know, so there's, we've got two people in the group at least with them now: mm-hmm. Mark and Mark and Daniel. And there's a couple of Amiga faces on them, which is cool. It's awesome, yeah. It looks the part. It's that's the one that looks like uh, Workbench 1.3, doesn't it? It's the yeah, blue and right. orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's cool looking. There are so many themes actually you can install. I've seen, I think I've seen C64 as well, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. And we've got some new members in the group too. So hello to Zishan Malik, Lukats, Herod, Daniel Kuletska, Unmundo de Retro Uegos, Kuba Herman, Sarah Christina Burroughs, Liam Young, and Miss Mad Lemon. Paul Harrington, Amiga Nere. Klaus Commodore and James Brown. Nice. Hi, everybody. Yeah, welcome along. Well, that's it for today. Music was by Virtual Dimensions and Banjo Guy Ali. Please leave us a review wherever you find us. And we're going to play out today with song number four, fourth place at the Amiga Ireland 2019 mod competition. This is by Vic Zoltar and it's called Start Over Again. We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Luke Kuchuk to check out three. Luke Kuchuk to check out three.